All right, let's fire this up. Welcome to, let's call it a Facebook Live edition of the Touch'em All podcast. We'll call this a bonus episode of the Touch'em All podcast, which we'll put up, uh, if you're watching on Facebook Live, on our iTunes feed and our Podcast One feed. If you're not subscribed yet, go ahead and, uh, and do that. That'd be awesome. It's Derek Wetmore and I usually talking twins once or twice a week in podcast form, but figure the MLB All-Star game is going on right now, and I'm just at home hanging out in my... 1980s WWF Mega Powers t-shirt, so I figured that some of you guys are probably hanging out watching too, and why not talk some twins and uh, kick some stuff around? So, if, again, if, uh, if, if this microphone sort of cuts out, just let me know in the comment section, let me know in the chat box, because I'm using this setup for the first time just to, to test things out. But in honor of Bartolo Colon, and, and we'll get to some of your questions and we can kick around some stuff, but just to start off with... In honor of Bartolo Colon, 44 years old, making a start for AAA Rochester on Thursday, and then if all goes well, and even if all doesn't go well, it sounds like he's going to start on Tuesday night at Target Field. He's going to face Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge, and that ridiculous Yankees lineup, Matt Holliday is back, Brett Gardner's having a career season, but let's put 40,000 people in Target Field for, the, for Big Sexy. And let, let's see what happens against that, that Yankees lineup. But in honor of Bartolo Colon, I have come up with the top 10, ah, bleep it, Twins signings in at least recent history, in my lifetime. I was born in 1985, so in, in my lifetime. Um, these are guys, we can debate this list, but these are guys like Bartolo Colon that, that are old, so at least over 30 or prob- preferably over the age of 35, that used to be really good or used to have value, clearly don't anymore, but the Twins still sign them. Now, I think Bartolo still has some value because he was an all-star twice in the last four years and still had an ERA below four as recently as, I think, last year with the Mets. So I think there's still some value there. But I'm going to start at number 10 and work my way up to number one, and then you guys can tell me if in the chat box if you feel like this list is spot on or not. Number 10, Jason Kubel the second time. So Jason Kubel, the second time, he had flamed out with the Indians. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, how about all three of those guys they brought back the second time a few years ago? So Jason Kubel, Matt Guerrier, and Jason Bartlett, who had been out of baseball for like two years, and they tried to put him in left field for a game. It was a disaster. He dove and a ball got by him, and then he like hurt his ankle and never played again. So, so number 10, getting the band back together a few years ago is, is number 10 on the list. Uh, number nine, Craig Monroe, who was a power hitter for the Tigers for a while. Twins thought they could get something out of him like eight years ago, and Craig Monroe turned out to be pretty much garbage for the Twins. Number eight, a guy who played for one-third of the teams in Major League Baseball over 20 years, and a guy who in the four years leading up to the Twins signing him had an ERA around five and a half, Terry Mulholland. The mullet wonder, Terry Mulholland, was 41 years old when the Twins signed him after four terrible seasons. Uh, Hal, I see you're throwing out Otis Nixon. So Otis Nixon's not on my list, but and here's why. So Otis Nixon was like 39 years old when the Twins signed him in, what, 1998 or 1999, somewhere in there? He stole 56 bases the year before, had a respectable batting average, so... If you're stealing 56 bases in your upper 30s and the Twins take a flyer on you, 
I mean, he definitely fits the the old characterization, but I don't think Otis Nixon was a washed-up player when the Twins signed him. And I think he stole like 35 or 40 bases for the Twins at age 39, too. Number seven on my list, Phil Nevin, if you guys remember him, in 2006. And he was one of the better power hitters in baseball like five years before that, and then kind of bounced around, high strikeout, low batting average guy. Twins thought they could get some power from him. He played a few games, but damn did he celebrate after the 2006 clincher at the end of the regular season. That was one of my first times I was interning at, I think it was KFAN at the time, and I was interning and doing some part-time work, and that was my first assignment with a microphone and a recorder in a champagne-splashed clubhouse, and there was Phil Nevin in a sleeveless t-shirt, having done really nothing. That was a team full of an MVP and a batting champion, and Torrey Hunter gold glove career season, Michael Kadire career season, and just all like Johan Santana and Francisco Liriano, Joe Nathan was the best, the second best closer in baseball, and Phil Nevin was leading the charge, the celebration in the clubhouse in 2006. I'll I'll never forget that. Uh, number six on my ah uh, bleep it, let's sign this washed up player, even though we know he's probably not going to be good. Twins rankings, Ruben Sierra, 2004. In fact, if you go up and down the 2004 Twins roster, maybe somebody can pull that up in Baseball Reference. Ruben Sierra, Pat Borders, there's like five of these guys. Uh, But Ruben Sierra, masher in the 80s, early 90s, and then kind of hung on for maybe eight to ten years. And he was a big name. I remember playing video games in the early 90s with Ruben Sierra in the middle of the Texas Rangers lineup. And I thought, you know, in 2004, oh, maybe he can like rekindle the magic. But no, that that did not happen. Now we get to the top five. And I was a little too young to appreciate this one or to... Maybe appreciate the wrong word. Steve Carlton in 1987. Legendary pitcher Steve Carlton. And the Twins, who won the World Series in 1987, basically with what? A two-man rotation and then kind of fill it out from there. And they thought they could catch lightning in a bottle. And he made maybe six or seven appearances and got rocked for a 7 ERA. And then they brought him back in 1988. But Steve Carlton has to be on this list. Number four, Sidney Ponson. Just, he wasn't even that old. I think he was in his prime. He was like 30 when the Twins signed him, but whew, greasy mullet. In fact, I got a picture of him right here on the Instagram list. If you can see this. Look at that greasy mullet. Oh, yeah. Drip some of that on the Facebook Live feed. You know, that's good stuff. Uh, number three, Levon Hernandez. No, no more needs to be said. Um, number two, Tony Batista who I think played a year maybe in Japan or something between when he was last in the big leagues and then when he went to the Twins. And uh, that turned out to be a train wreck. He had that wide-open, weird batting stance and was just kind of just kind of there. <laughs> Didn't really have a position. And number one, my favorite, ah, bleep it, let's take a flyer on this guy, even though he's no longer good anymore, Brett Bleepin Boone. Brett Boone, whose career fell off the cliff in his early 30s. And uh, the Twins thought they could squeeze some extra toothpaste out of the uh, the tube. What's up, Ref Rob Page? Yeah, Mega Powers t-shirt popular tonight. <laughs> so so here's my list again. Brett Boone, Tony Batista, Levon Hernandez, Sidney Ponson, Steve Carlton, Ruben Sierra, Phil Nevin, Terry Mulholland, Craig Monroe, and Jason Kubel slash uh, Matt Guerrier and Jason Bartlett. The second time around. So, uh, you guys, some I saw Butch Husky suggested 
in the comment section. So here's the thing about Butch Husky. Yeah, Ali suggested Butch Husky. Or no, somebody else did. Um, he was actually pretty darn good before the Twins signed him. I think he hit like 22 home runs and batted 270 in the year before he got to the Twins. He was only 28 years old. He just turned out to be a disaster and couldn't play outfield. So, I mean, he turned into a washed-up player, but when the Twins signed him, he really wasn't. I've seen Rondell White suggested here, yeah. Uh, Rondell White suggested in the comments. Rondell White was also, by the end of it, washed up and old. But if you remember, the year before the Twins signed Rondell White, he batted three thirteen and hit a bunch of home runs with the Tigers in a half season. And I think maybe even made an All-Star game in there somewhere. So, um... Yeah, Rondell White was, I mean, he was old, but in terms of, wow, they're really taking a flyer and the scrap heap off this guy, I thought Rondell White, I don't know if he fits that description quite as much. So, kind of a fun topic. Um, if you guys have any other questions or threads you want to kick around, looks like Max Scherzer got out of the first inning here. We're just hanging out, watching the All-Star game. If you're just joining, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN. Uh, Megan says, why isn't Snow the starting third baseman? He lost the vote. Yeah, he lost the vote. Ramirez for, for Cleveland's had a ridiculous first half. And Miguel kind of tailed off in the month up to the All-Star break. I mean, he still finished with, what, 20 home runs in the first half. So he's still on pace for, like, 35 or 40 homers and 115 or 120 RBIs. So he's definitely going to be fine. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of the third baseman crop in the major leagues right now. You've got Nolan Arenado. you got Miguel Sano. Josh Donaldson, now oh, Freddie Freeman is playing third base for the Atlanta Braves. So, oh, here's a great one. On the yeah, Jamie Carroll from Brandon. Jamie Carroll on our list. <laughs> you know, he was I mean, he was a utility guy. He, he he could field and play some positions, so he wasn't a total disaster. Tony, what's up? I see you on there. Uh, Ruben Sierra in 2006, Matt found this, 14 games played and a 179 batting average. <laughs> All right, let's dive into some questions here about the current Twins. Drew asks, what's the threshold for acceptable and unacceptable trade offers for Urban Santana? That is a really, really good question. We talked about this on our radio show today because all of these discussions about should they trade Urban Santana, should they not, are they true contenders, are they fake contenders... Let me start here. You're going to find out a lot about the Twins in the first two weeks after the All-Star game. So they fire it back up on Friday night. Three games against the best team in the American League, the Astros. Remember what happened last time the Twins played a series against the Astros. It was a disaster. It's one of the best teams we've seen in baseball in the last 10 years. So you're going to start off three games against the Astros. Then you get the Yankees for three and that lineup with Aaron Judge. Tigers, kind of a reprieve. They're struggling. Miguel Cabrera is not the same old Miguel Cabrera. And then you get three games on the road against the Dodgers. So six road games in the next two weeks against the two best teams in baseball, each with plus 160 run differentials, each with ridiculous lineups that will shred, most likely, these Twins pitchers, maybe not named Irvin, not named Barrios, but even those guys aren't a guarantee. If you're still standing after that two-week stretch, if in those nine games... Uh, not kind of the Detroit series. If you can somehow go like four and five in those nine games and still be above 500 once you get back to a weaker portion of the schedule, and now you're a little bit closer to the trade deadline, now you're like a week away from the trade deadline, okay, 
I might be convinced that you should ride this thing out with Irvin Santana, even if you're getting trade offers. More likely than not, you're probably going to finish with a below 500 record or maybe even more disastrous than that against some of the best teams in baseball the next two weeks. So it should make your decision to trade Irvin if the offers are right. Back to your question, Drew, what's the threshold for an acceptable offer for Irvin Santana? We don't know what's behind door number one, door number two. So all we can do is speculate. It's not as easy as just saying, well, the Twins should trade Irvin Santana, period. Or the Twins would be foolish if they didn't trade Irvin Santana. The Twins should have traded Brian Dozier maybe in the offseason, but if the best offer they got for him was a half-injured Jose De Leon, if nobody was willing to offer two top prospects for two full years at a team-friendly salary for one of the best infielders in baseball, then like I, I can't fault them for not pulling the trigger on that trade. But right now, today, at the All-Star break, the Astros could use a number three starter. The Yankees could use some pitching help. The Cubs could certainly use some pitching help. They're below 500. If one of those teams with deep cupboards offers you, let's say, two top prospects or their top pitching prospect or second best pitching prospects who's, who's in double A or triple A and uh, you know another promising hitter or whatever, like two, two of their top five or six organizational prospects, it is a no-brainer for me. I pull the trigger on it right now. And it might hurt in the short term because you might lose your number one starter, but Long-term, I'd rather have, for a team that I don't think is ready to compete on that level with Houston and the Yankees and the Red Sox this this season, I think I think the Twins have done an outstanding job just outperforming what everyone thought they would do to this point in the season. I would cash my chips out, and I would try to get better for 2018-19. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be mortgaging like six years of Nick Gordon team control for a rent-a-pitcher down the stretch. And we had Thad Levine on our show last week, and he said the same thing. He basically said... Yeah, um, we're telling teams around the league that we have no interest in rented pitchers. We're strictly in the market for players and pitchers that can help us 2018, 19, etc. So that's kind of a long-winded way to answer your question, Drew. But, you know, I, I think you let the next two weeks play out. See where you're at once you go toe-to-toe with the Astros, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. And then see what the offers are for Irvin Santana. The best offers probably aren't going to come in anyways until a week before the trade deadline. But rest assured, there will be teams looking to offer quality prospects for Urban Santana. It happens every year where a team will give up something of substance for for pitchers that even, like, Andrew Miller was lights out, but Andrew Miller is a relief pitcher, and the Indians gave up a lot for him last year. So teams are desperate for pitching at the trade deadline, and even though Brian Dozier might be the better overall player, Urban Santana is probably the more valuable player in terms of what you could get in uh, in trade discussions. All right, let's jump to... We're kind of going back and forth on topics here. Kyle throws in another suggestion for best over-the-hill or washed-up Twins free agent signings, Joe Creedy. Yeah, Joe Creedy was more of an injury risk. Actually, Joe Creedy, the year before the Twins signed him in 2009, if I believe... Joe Creedy made the All-Star game in 2008 with the White Sox. He was one of the best defensive third basemen in the league, but he had back problems. And so I I can't remember if he had back surgery or if he just had rehab or whatever. But yeah, Joe Creedy, that's a a pretty good one. I don't know if I'd put him in the top 10 because he was pretty, when he was healthy, he was serviceable. Um, Allie asks, I know you're a big wrestling guy. Doesn't Bartolo slightly resemble Andre the Giant? (laughs) I was thinking more like Rikishi. 
strike out your opponent and give a little stink face up against the uh, the dugout screen. Heather says, Phil, I listened to you every morning. I thought you were skinnier. Why did you think I was skinnier? <laughs> My little triple chin. Do I sound skinny, Heather? Is that the, is that the thing? Uh, Drew with another good question here. Do you think we'll see Steven Gonsalves and or Fernando Romero in the major leagues this season? Whew. Hey guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch em All podcast, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three plus decades And there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades, right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. So I think uh, Gonsalve, no, Romero is on the 40-man roster, so... It wouldn't shock me if Romero was a September call-up because you could call him up in September and then you wouldn't have to run the risk of optioning him to AAA Rochester. Although, did they, if they put him on the 40-man, uh, well, he's a double-A, I guess, so brain fart, they would have burned an option year anyways because they put him on the 40-man roster going into the season and then they optioned him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you've already burned an option year regardless. I don't, if Fernando Romero keeps pitching like he is at double-A, there's really no reason for him not to be at least a September call-up. I don't know. I can't. I, from what I've heard, uh, the organization's kind of split, and people who've seen these guys pitch on which one's the better prospect. But you know, even if one of those guys turns out to be a viable starting pitcher in 2018, and now you've got Barrios, you got Gonsalves, maybe you've got Bartolo Colon in 2018, and uh, Adalberto Mejia has shown some signs. And, and people forget, too, if you trade Urban Santana, it frees up even more money. Joe Maurer comes off the books after next year, so, so you know that you're going to be free of that. I wouldn't rule out this front office signing a quality free agent starter. I'd have to go look at the list. I don't know if there's any top, top guys available that, um, that are going to be like 25 or $30 million. If there are, then that might actually... I don't think the Twins are going to be in on the top guys, but it would open the door for the Twins to come in and if if all that's on the market are like those B-level free agent starters, those guys are all going to be overpaid by by top market teams because those teams are all desperate. So, And that's back to the Irvin Santana thing. The reason why I'm so bullish on trading Irvin Santana is because there's only so many ways to land top quality starting pitching. I mean like long-term team control, not 34 years old, top caliber starting pitching. You could sign big name free agents. You could. Uh, the Twins don't, traditionally, and unless you're the Arizona Diamondbacks, most mid-to-small market teams don't acquire top-caliber starting pitchers through that avenue. Usually, when you see those guys on the market, they're 30 years old, or like 29, 30, 31 years old, and they sign five- to eight-year contracts for absurd money, and it almost never works out in the team's favor. So, even if you do pull off one of those signings, I just don't think it's a viable avenue you know, once in a while, John Lester helped the Cubs win a World Series. That contract's going to look pretty bad on the back end, but you know, I think they would take it because they snapped a 108-year World Series drought. But I just don't consider free agency as a viable way to pick up top-caliber starting pitchers. I mean, really, the, the, the Twins probably struck gold with Irvin Santana to some degree, but they struck out on Phil Hughes. They struck out on 
Ricky Nolasco, and that's that second tier of guys who are like 29, 20, you know, 30 years old. The other two avenues are draft and develop or free agent, uh, international free agents when they're 16 or 18 years old, and trading. And if you look at the way that the Indians have been built the last few years, the Astros, the Cubs for sure, a lot of the players, whether it's position players or top-end starting pitching, Jake Arrieta was acquired via trade by the Cubs. Carlos Carrasco was acquired via trade by the Indians. Um, Corey Kluber was acquired via trade by the Indians. They're giving up players of substance. In fact, the Indians, in order to get to where they were last year, over the past you know eight to ten years, they actually traded Cliff Lee, CC Sabathia, and Jake Westbrook, who's not quite in that same caliber, but Jake Westbrook was a good quality starter for the for the Indians for a long time. So I'm sure a lot of their fans were like, "Wait, why would you trade Cliff Lee? Why would you trade CC Sabathia? Why would you like, why are you trading these good pitchers?" Because they knew they weren't going to go and fix their rotation or build a long-term rotation through free agency. Let's try and, if we're not going to win right now and these guys have contracts coming up, let's try and dump them while their value is high before they blow their arms out or before they just hit the age cliff, which Irvin Santana is very near. He's 34 years old. Um, uh, That's how you acquire the guys like Carlos Carrasco, who can help you in their prime. Um, What else we got here in the comments section? John asks, what would have been a bigger surprise, AJ Styles winning the U.S. title at a house show or the Twins making the playoffs this year? I love the wrestling questions. I'm a big wrestling mark. Um, I would say probably the, the, well, you know, AJ Styles winning the U.S. title at a house show. Sometimes they change titles at house shows, but here's the thing about the Twins' playoff chances. They're a flawed team for sure. I mean, just think about this. Well, I'll circle back to, to that point. They're a flawed team, but flawed teams can still make the playoffs with the new system where 10 teams get in around the league. A third of baseball gets in now. It's still a lower percentage than hockey or the NBA, but it's the highest percentage in the history of baseball. So no longer do you have to have that 94-win team like you did in the old two-division days 25 years ago. You can be flawed and win 86 games and still get to that coin flip wildcard game. So you know you don't you don't have to have five awesome starting pitchers. You don't have to have a lights-out bullpen bridge. If you want to win the World Series, you have to have those things. But if you want to get to that coin flip game, especially in an American league where it doesn't look like there's five or six really good teams, you got the Yankees, the Red Sox, you got the Astros. I really like the Indians. That's four. You know, everyone else has a lot of flaws. So, you know, they could they could still, not easily, but they could still hang around long enough. Even You know, maybe they add a piece. Hell, maybe they add a Pat Neshek or somebody to uh, who's an all-star, by the way to just bolster their bullpen. But think about this, okay? So they have series against the Astros and the Yankees and the Dodgers coming up. When I'm watching that home run derby last night, and when you just watch these guys in games, you got six foot seven freak athlete Aaron Judge who has 30 bombs in the first half of the season. You got Sanchez ripping 20 bombs in one of his rounds or whatever it was last night. That Yankees lineup is absurd. Now... Let's go look at the Twins' 40-man roster and the pitching options available over the next couple weeks, aside from Irvin Santana and Jose Barrios. I mean, seriously, can you imagine Matt Belial facing Aaron Judge in a, in a 3-3 game with two runners out in the eighth inning? Can you imagine trying to preserve a 3-2 lead with runners on the corners in the seventh inning and your starter has to come out of the game and Buddy Bo Shears comes in 
to face the heart of the Yankees lineup or George Springer. So it's just, yes, it's been a super fun first half, and I want the Twins to make the playoffs, but just forget about analytics, and I'm a huge stat guy, and all the analytics tell you this team is ripe for a huge drop-off in the second half. The eye test alone tells you, hey, super fun first half, we'll take it, it was relevant baseball. They basically got us to Vikings training camp. You know what? We wanted them to get us to freaking tax day, and they got us to Vikings training camp. Let's take it for what it is. It's a great step in the right direction. Anything beyond this is gravy, and anything you do strategically should benefit you in 2018, 19, and beyond. But these guys ain't going toe-to-toe with that Astros squad. They ain't going toe-to-toe with that Yankees lineup, with that bullpen. It's just not going to happen. Let me throw out one more teaser here on uh, on the Twitter machine. See if we can get some more people to join us here. Thank you guys for hanging out. This is super fun. Uh, actually, Derek Wetmore is going to take over the reins. He's going to fire up Facebook Live probably in like a half hour once I'm done. I'm going to go for like another 10 or 15 minutes, and then we'll get Derek to jump in here, and he can answer some questions and and hang out with you all as well. Tony asks... If Joe Maurer continues to play gold glove caliber defense and hit near 280 uh, with a near 760 OPS, do you extend him? And then the question gets cut off, and I am not tech-savvy enough to see the rest of it. Um, I need to see him prove it in his, in his walk year next year. I don't even know if Joe Maurer wants to keep playing, to be honest. I mean, do we know? Does Joe Maurer, he's been beat up. He's back on the disabled list now. He's had concussion issues, back issues. I think he's had issues that he doesn't talk about. I think he's been banged up. I think catching banged him up. I think his six foot four frame as a catcher banged him up. So we we got to find out if Joe Maurer wants to keep playing after the age of you know what will he be thirty five years old. But uh, if you have a Gold Glove caliber first baseman, and he's going to be a respectable hitter, not going to pay twenty three million dollars for that, but. I could see that on the roster, 120 games, 130 games, depends on the price, kind of depends on some of the other options too. I mean, I know the Twins were trying to trade Brian Dozier for Cody Bellinger, first baseman, and play some corner outfield too, but the, Cody Bellinger's, it's funny because the Dodgers may not have known this at the time, that Cody Bellinger was going to break out and be, you know, five times a better player than Brian Dozier is this year, but... uh you know, if they had pulled that trade off, does Joe Maurer even start at first base? Is he is he starting at first base right now if Cody Bellinger's on the team? Or or is Cody Bellinger the DH and maybe he plays some outfield? But here's another question, too. you got four guys. that I'd like to see all four of these guys start in the outfield right now. I'm curious to see more Buxton. Curious to see the newfound patient approach of Eddie Rosario. Uh, Max Kepler has been hot lately. But Zach Granite. Man, that guy's fun to watch. I don't know if he's going to be a starting outfielder, um, you know, in five years from now, but I'd like to see. I mean, the guy's got range in the outfield. He doesn't strike out very often. He hit 370 this year for AAA Rochester, so I would be curious to see if the Twins could somehow maybe use a four-man outfield rotation. Maybe, uh, maybe there's a way for all four of those guys to just play on a semi-regular basis four to five times a week and you can just rest once or twice a week and just and have kind of a musical chairs of of outfielders so I that, that would be of interest to me for sure um 
Sorry, I'm just trying to find my my tweet here. If I can retweet my tweet. Watch this multitasking. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, Pat Nishek. That's a cool story, man. Pat, Pat Nishek, uh that was an interesting fallout he had with the Twins about seven years ago. But now that now that it's been seven years, and now that there's a new front office, and, and Pat Nishek is a rent-a-pitcher, you would not have to give up a top prospect to get him. If you could make a couple moves like that just to bolster your bullpen, that would go a long way. Now, instead of just having you know, maybe one reliable reliever in Brandon Kinsler, maybe, maybe Nishek helps you out as a veteran who's actually been you know, rock-solid the last few years. And that, that, those are ways you could help the team in the short term. If Bartolo Colon, this is what I would do with this team, exactly what they're doing. Let them continue to push along the path they're pushing on. You know, maybe Byron Buxton's light bulb fully clicks on. That changes the entire complexion of the team in the second half, if that happens. But if if Cologne can get back to pitching like he did with the Mets the last couple of years, and then if you add like a Pat Neshek and he's just serviceable in the seventh, eighth innings, maybe you add another reliever too. You know, that, then you then you get to hang on to Nick Gordon and you get to maybe make a push for one of those wild card spots uh, this season. Kyle says Matt Belial is good for the ah bleep it washed up veteran signing list. But if you go check, Matt Belial actually had an ERA below two, if I'm not mistaken, in the National League, albeit. But he had an ERA, I think, below two, Kyle, last year. So older, yes, but washed up. He's been pretty good for the most part the last few years. Chris Sales on the mound right now, two on and, and nobody out. Haven't been paying a whole lot of attention because it's more fun to be talking twins with you all. Uh, Drew says, if the Twins, if the Astros, Yankees, and Dodgers series are a complete disaster, who else besides Irv could the Twins get value for? So here's a radical idea. Or maybe not radical, but here's a a different idea. Irvin Santana and Brandon Kinsler are kind of the the two guys that you put on that sell-high list, right? Because Kinsler's 30... And this is a career season for him. He's got a bunch of saves, so maybe you could get something of value. I'm not sure I'd be so quick to trade Brandon Kinsler. He's one of the elite ground ball-inducing pitchers in the league, and he's become reliable against American League lineups. So um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't just trade him for the sake of, of selling high on him. I would perhaps sell high on Eddie Rosario. And if you just sort of read the tea leaves, too, I know this organization loves Zach Granite. I don't think they're selling low on Byron Buxton. That would be a huge mistake to sell low on Byron Buxton. Max Kepler's not going anywhere, unless unless my read is off on that. Eddie Rosario has been great the last month. He's batting like 285 or 290. The on-base percentage for the first time in his major league career is above 300. It's at 325. So he's showing some power. He's showing more plate discipline. Still needs a roadmap in left field once in a while. You've got a surplus of outfielders. You can find corner outfielders. If some team thought he could play center field, or if some team just thought that Eddie Rosario was a star player in the making, if you could trade him for a pitcher under team control for three or four years, would you do it? I think I would. I think I would shop Eddie Rosario while he's hot right now, and then I would put Zach Granite in left field, and at the very least, I'd have two of the top defensive outfielders standing next to each other in center field and left field. I would be shopping at a Rosario right now if I were the Twins. Um, Grant says, what about Vargas? Does he have any trade value? I don't think so. I, 
first of all, he's like 26 years old, so he's not he's not young. He's not a prospect anymore. He's been in the league for parts of three or four seasons. He doesn't really have a position. You know, he's shown he's capable of playing first base, and he just doesn't get on base. So if you don't get on base, and if power is really the only discernible skill that you have, I just don't see that having a ton of value. Now, I'm not going to... He's got options left, so I would definitely send him to AAA to hone things before I dump him on the street. I just can't... The reason why I'm not going to dive you know, off the, the Kenny Vargas bandwagon quite yet is because he just looks like David Ortiz, right? He just he profiles like David Ortiz. And if you look at David Ortiz's average season per 162 games with the Twins up until age 26, which is when they ditched him, and then you look at Kenny Vargas's numbers, average 162-game sample up until now, age 26, it's pretty identical. Pretty much the same batting average, uh, pretty much the same home runs, RBIs. The weighted on base is in favor of David Ortiz, but I just, you know, I don't, I'd send him back to the minor leagues before I would jettison him or trade him for nothing. Let's see here. Hi, cousin Andrew. What's going on? Uh, Daniel House in the house from Gopher Hole, from uh, the land of Viking Blogville. Daniel House, NFL, if you want some good gopher takes and Vikings takes. Looking way ahead, if the Twins take a significant dip in the second half, will Falvey Levine decide to pick their own manager with Molitor not under control? Woof! So we had, uh, was it last Thursday, we had uh, we had Levine on our radio show, and Brian Murphy was in for Judd, and Brian actually asked him point blank, what's the deal with Paul Molitor? Are you going to give him a contract extension? You know, what? what's the status? And he just kind of tap-danced around it. He said, you know, we want to take the whole season to evaluate, blah, blah, blah. And I said, so is it possible a contract extension could get done like in the season? Would you would you entertain that? And he just said, ah, oh, we'd rather keep that in-house. Now, if if you come over and, and you take over a team, it's pretty likely that you want to bring in as many new people as you, people that you're comfortable with. So it's, it's up to the, the incumbents, whether it's some of the, uh, you know, the lower level front office people or the manager, players, it's it's up to everyone to prove their value and, and prove that they should keep their job. Paul Molitor has done a really good job, both from what you see on the field, just squeezing toothpaste out of this tube and getting this team to overachieve, not once, but twice in three years. Of course, that second year was 103 losses, so that was a disaster. But, um, you know, I've heard behind the scenes that he's done a really good job of being open-minded and... Uh, and meshing with Levine and Falvey. So I, I don't have a ton of detailed information about his relationship with the new front office, but he's definitely open-minded, and he's more of a progressive baseball thinker than, say, Ron Gardenhire was at the end. So that's a really good question. Um, you know, Paul Molitor has been doing it for three years now on the road on a regular basis. He's in his 60s, so you know, I think you'd have to find out how long does Molitor want to keep doing it. Does he want to do it until he's 70 years old? You know... It's probably a two-way street with that conversation, but if the Twins were to announce today Paul Molitor is coming back for 2018 and 19, would anyone really feel terribly? I mean, the, the Twins have flirted with relevancy with some of the worst pitchers in baseball two out of the last three years. So Paul Molitor deserves some credit for that, at least to some extent, in, uh, in my mind. Uh, Michael, I enjoy your commentary. Phil, I wish Derek was there for you to avoid making eye contact together and face the other direction. Derek will be 
jumping on Facebook Live here for kind of the second half of the game, sometime in the next hour or so. Uh, then Michael asks, your evaluation of the Twins front office grade their performance thus far. So I know the narrative is that they haven't done, they signed Bartolo Colon off the used DVD scrap heap, right? Well, I know behind the scenes they're implementing a lot of new scouting processes. Excuse me. Um, they are, it, they're rolling up their sleeves and they're trying to change the inner core and the infrastructure of what the Twins are doing. They're, they're beefing up the analytical department. They're beefing up the communication between scouting and front office and field staff and players. They are using weighted balls, for instance, in their... Um, um, sorry, Doogie's texting. He's got a big scoop podcast that we're going to post tonight. He actually caught up with Jamal Crawford. So just random tease, Doogie's going to have a scoop podcast up tonight on our podcast network, 1500ESPN.com, talking to Jamal Crawford. Um, I, I give them, at this point, an incomplete grade, but I really like the way they think. I love the way that Derek Falvey talks about leadership and the way he talks about collaboration. And I've heard, I've asked a lot of people, not only players, but even just PR people and other people in the organization, and all of them have glowing reviews about Falvey and Levine and just the way that they are building this thing. So you might not see it manifesting in terms of them making a big trade or them making a big free agency signing splash, but I think they're laying a lot of inner core work, groundwork, so that this team can be sustainably good for a long stretch of time. Uh, Joe says, why does Rosario always bat 7th, 8th, or ninth? What would it take for him to move up in the lineup? Well, getting on base more often would help. So the, And he has been lately, so it's possible if he keeps getting on base at a higher clip and swings at good pitches, then he could move up in the order. But the Twins front office... They value an offensive measurement called weighted on base average. So I know that OPS has become sort of mainstream where you take on base percentage and you add it to slugging percentage and then you get on base plus slug, you get OPS. Well, if you really dig into the run scoring process and how runs are created, and a lot smarter people than me have done this, and I would recommend there's a couple books, anything by Bill James would be a great primer for this discussion. Or if you want to just go buy a book called The Book, Playing the Percentages in Baseball, they explain some of these concepts, and front offices are now implementing these things for the last 10 years. Weighted on base average weights the ability to get on base 1.8 times more important than the slugging component. So instead of just taking equal part on base, equal part slugging, and adding them together, weighted on base average says, if you get on base at a higher clip, that's actually worth a lot more than slugging percentage, and so we're going to value that more. And if you go back just the last 10 to 15 years, or hell, any year, and you sort teams by weighted on base average, it's almost always correlating with the teams that score the most runs. So Eddie Rosario has, like, what, a 460 slugging percentage, which is really good, but his on-base percentage is traditionally really low, below 300, and this year it's 320. So he's not quite as effective as, say, a Robbie Grossman who gets on base at almost a 400 clip and he constantly keeps the chains moving. I'm going to answer like two more questions and then I'm going to take off and let Derek Wetmore take over the reins here with a new Twins Broadcast TV radio, your favorite color analysis and personalities. Well, I really, really like Corey Provis as a play-by-play guy. I know that doesn't answer your question. I think he's a total pro. He does a great job even on Big Ten Network for, for football and, and basketball games. 
Roy Smalley is, and I'm biased because he's on our, he's been on our radio show weekly for the last you know five years. But Roy Smalley is awesome. If you listen to Roy Smalley break down the mechanics of hitting and the why and the how things happen, he's constantly engaged in teaching you things on the broadcast, and I love that. You know, Bert, you know, Bert's working a half season schedule and. Bert tells jokes and likes to read out of the media guide, and he's a likable guy, and he knows a lot about pitching, but I don't always feel like we get that on the broadcast. And I don't always feel like Dick Bramer is teeing Bert up. It almost feels like there's friction there sometimes. So, But I would say of the guys who've been on TV, Latroy Hawkins has been pretty good a couple times. Roy Smalley's awesome. I'd love to see A.J. Pierzynski get a shot. I'm sure the Twins have reached out in that regard, and he's doing national stuff for Fox, so maybe he's just kind of beyond the local... Uh, the local stuff, but uh, yeah, I would say anytime Roy Smalley's on TV, it's it's must listen and and must watch for me. Hey, thank you so much, you guys, for joining. I'm going to take off here. It's the third inning, and actually, Aaron Judge is up right now. I'm gonna watch this Aaron Judge at bat against Carlos Martinez. This guy is a behemoth, and he just grounded out. It looks like to to end the inning. So. Uh, if you haven't checked out our Touch 'Em All podcast, if you're new, if you're just jumping in on Facebook Live and you're hanging out during the All Star Game, Derek Wetmore and I do. In addition to all of our radio content on 1500 ESPN, uh, we do a weekly podcast called Touch 'Em All, and you can find it on 1500 ESPN.com's Pod Center, Podcast One, our podcast partners at Hubbard, and also on iTunes. So if you could subscribe, give us a little uh, five star rating, and tell us how much you either love or hate us or whatever, um, we would appreciate that. So. Thank you guys for hanging out. Derek Wetmore will fire up Facebook Live here from his place sometime, I think, in the next 30 to 60 minutes. So just keep an eye out if you're looking for uh, you know, a little community to hang out and watch the All-Star game. We will catch you. Speaking of Roy Smalley, he's on with us Thursday. And Jason Stark is on with us at 1130 tomorrow. So if you haven't heard the Mackie and Judd show in a while, and if you haven't heard Jason Stark on with us, he's awesome. And uh, he's, he's always full of knowledge and usually brings trivia to the table. So thank you guys. Super fun hanging out. And we will catch you next time here on Facebook Live and or on the radio and or on a podcast somewhere. Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator skin. Man, I love Operator skins. Dual double XP and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.